Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back to the Canadian Real Estate Investor. My name is Daniel Foch. And I'm Nick Hill. And today we're talking about the biggest real estate owners and landlords in Canada. We're going to be looking at developers, landowners, landlords, building owners in both the residential and commercial space. So, Dan, without further ado, let's just dive right into today's episode. Why don't you start us off with one of our probably personal favorite asset classes? Sure. Yeah, there's a handful of different ways that you could potentially quantify who owns the most real estate in Canada. The primary one obviously would be dollar value, but we're going to look at door count as well. And then also size um, and size can be measured by you know square footage or, or land. So first we're going to start with apartments. So maybe you're one of those people who wants to put how many doors they have in their Instagram bio. Uh, yes, of course. In that case, you'd, uh, I guess you'd be using the door count metric, which we can we can start with. So who owns the most doors in Canada? Yeah, I mean, I could tell you, or you could just go look up Starlight Capreet and Boardwalk's Instagram accounts, and, and hopefully they would have their door counts in there. But if they don't, I'll tell you anyways. Uh, so uh, coming in at number one, Starlight Investments has 65,941 doors. A distant second place, Capreet, has 47,300 doors. And then Boardwalk Reit in third with 33,722 units. And other companies that would be on this list would be companies like Homestead, Interrent Reit, Minto Properties, Inc., Killam Properties, Inc., which is also a Reit, Skyline Apartment Reit, Northern Property Reit, Drulo Holdings, Inc., yeah, so let's compare this to the U.S. Starwood Capital Group has 115,000 units, and that's uh, measured last year in 2022. That's up from 89,000 units in 2021. So they were quite busy in that uh, that year. We have MAA, 100,000 units, actually down from, uh, looks like they liquidated just about 500 Morgan Properties, 94,000 units. Avalon Bay Communities, 81,000 units. Graystar Real Real Estate Partners, over 80,000 units. And then number six on the list, still higher than Canada, is Equity Residential with 78,322 units. The related companies have 75,000 units. Nuveen Real Estate has just under 70,000 units. Edward Rose has 68,000 units and Monarch Investment has 66,000 or just under 67,000 units. So you have to get to 11th place for Canada to be competitive with the USA with uh, Starlight, I think maybe coming in 11th there with 65,000. That's after Monarch 60, almost 67,000. Yeah, it doesn't sound that com- impressive, I guess, when you compare Canadian owners to U.S. companies by door volume. I mean, I wonder what it would be for developers when we compare those side by side. You know, it's actually not that bad considering how small Canada is compared to the U.S. With 140 million homes in the U.S., 
just 14 million in Canada, so 10% of the U.S. size, which is kind of in line with our population being roughly 10% or was roughly 10% of theirs. Um, the Starlight with 65 or 66,000 units is 0.4% of the total housing supply, whereas Starwood in the States with 115,000 units is 0.08% of the total housing supply. So, uh, I mean, it's, you know, when you contextualize it in almost like a per capita or per house basis, it's not as, uh, not as bleak looking or, or not as depressing looking for Canadian. I mean, th- these companies are doing very impressive things relative mm-hmm. to the size of our economy. Now, it b- makes me think more in a global context, who would be the biggest apartment owner in the world? Yeah, well, let's let's talk about that. I mean, it, you know, it is uh, it is interesting. It's it's quite the flex for for Starwood out of the states to essentially be like, hey, we own one percent of the total housing supply in the USA. That's, that's not pretty. Good. That's not it though. That's that's oh, 0.08. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry, even, I was looking. Yeah, yeah. so it's like Starlight I mean, doesn't even own half a percentage point of the total housing supply in Canada, right? Yeah, so even more interesting now, things get a little different when we look for the biggest one in the world, Dan, which we couldn't find for this episode, but we did find the biggest one in Europe. So let's look at Europe's largest real estate company, which apparently is in the works right now. So if successful, the newly born behemoth would own 550,000 apartments in Europe with 160,000 in Berlin alone. The real estate company is called Vonovia, is planning its third merger attempt with Deutsche Wohen, and is at this time, they are offering even more money. If the deal goes through, the behemoth that will emerge will be the largest real estate group in Europe. Both the companies that made the announcement last Sunday with Vonovia offering 19 billion euros for the takeover, so... What would that equate to? Maybe early, low 20 billions, 22, 23 billion, maybe. Um, And this would mean that Deutsche Wohen's shareholders are set to receive 53 euros per share, adding to one euro per share uh, from their last offer. So 550,000 units if this merger goes through, uh, biggest one in Europe, which kind of puts um, Starwood... 115,000 units to shame. Yeah, I think it's, it is interesting. And, you know, if you look at some of the other kind of new world economies in the, in the far East, China, especially, you would imagine that China would have a bigger single apartment owner, just given that a lot of, you know, these larger businesses in China become nationalized. Um, but I couldn't really find much on it, to be honest. Um, I know Evergrande was the biggest developer in the world, and there was a lot of. Um, it's, I actually was kind of surprised how much that news went away, but um, you know that they were they were having problems sort of halfway through the pandemic period. I want to say like twenty twenty two, twenty twenty one. Big problems, yeah. Big problems. Yeah, we yeah. did an episode on it actually. I think we did in a very early episode on trouble in the world's largest asset. Yeah, I mean, and it is well, China at the at that time was the world's largest asset class. And, you know, we've spoken a couple of times about how, or sorry, China's real estate market was the world's largest asset class. And we've spoken a couple of times about how the headline for, um, if you go to the Economist house price index page, um, the headline basically talks about how, you know, real estate, residential real estate is actually the biggest asset class in the world. 
and mm-hmm. uh, residential property is the biggest asset class in the world, and it doesn't get nearly the news coverage that it should. Probably because it's not as liquid, and you know, it's not a, it doesn't matter as much based on the news. But still, very interesting that that residential homes are the biggest asset in the world. Now, if uh, speaking about China and, and Evergrande, if you go down the rankings by total assets for funds, not just apartments, you can see how far down the list you have to go just to get to a U.S. company here. So let's go over the kind of so maybe the top uh, top 10 here and uh, just look at where they're from and what their revenue is. So number one is Evergrande at $367 billion. Um, Dan, what's number two? Number two is Sunak China, which is I guess is that that's less than half or just over half of uh, Evergrande. So just wild comparison. Uh, 178 billion in revenue. Tishman Spire out of North America, 115 billion. And then Heinz Group, which, you know, if you're in Canada, you would see some towers being built by this company uh, at 90 billion. Yeah, if you're in Toronto, exactly. I mean, Heinz is is a, a major developer, well known in Canada. They're actually currently developing um, part two of CIBC Park, uh, which is a massive development downtown Toronto. Here, uh, number five, we've got China Vanke Company Limited at eighty eight billion, and New World Development Co Limited out of Asia at eighty two billion. Graystar Real Estate Partners out of North America at a cool eighty billion. Yeah, and Graystar is out of the U.S. Um, next is Wheelock and Company at seventy-eight billion. That's out of Asia. Guangzhou R and F Property Company is sixty-five billion out of Asia. And then back to the original list there, just quantifying in dollar amount is the related companies at sixty billion in tenth position there, and and back to North America. Interestingly, I think Graystar made their first move into Canada last year. There was an article about it, March 25th, um, by teaming up with Minto REIT, actually. It says the U.S. Office, US company has offices in Vancouver and Victoria, and the Canadian REIT also makes them uh, first move into, into BC Capital. So um, I keep an eye on that one because these are businesses that are crossing the border and playing a role in Canadian real estate now. Now, I guess the thing that, you know, and we had alluded to it at the beginning of the episode is one of the things that we do well here is build houses, I think. Uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's funny because we talk a lot about like <laughs> we're in a housing crisis and, and it's because we can't build enough. And a good portion of that is a demand problem, not just a supply problem. But we're, we're, you know, when you look at businesses that we've built that are at the scale that are worth talking about in a global context, home builders come to mind. We have some some massive home builders here in Canada. So, First, we're going to look at the U.S. list because I think that they sort of started this model. And and we kind of covered some of the ones globally. I mean, China Evergrande Group being the largest real estate company in the world is primarily a home builder. But not many others on that list. Uh, they would mostly be listed by AUM or assets under management. So the majority of them on the list that we just read aren't actually builders. So we're going to go through a list of builders here quickly, and then we'll talk about who those companies would be in Canada. What are the biggest builders in Canada? And then we'll get to land, um, which is going to be fun. So number one in the U.S. is D.R. Horton. Um, they built 82,930 homes last year. Actually, I think this is, I want to say it's 2022. 
Yeah, okay. I mean, that that's a crazy amount of homes. And then um, kind of in a distant second, we've got Lenar Group at 68,000. Number three is Polte Group, uh, 30,000 homes. So again, almost a, or more than a halving from second position. NVR at uh, just under 23,000 homes. Meritage Homes Corp at 14,000. KB Home at just under fourteen. Taylor Morrison at 12,600. Clayton Properties Group just under 12,000. And Century Communities at 10,600. And Toll Brothers at 10,500. Toll Brothers, I feel like, is the one you hear a lot about. I, th- I think they were one of the biggest in the past. So what would this list look like in Canada? Um, what are the largest real estate companies in Canada? This is a list that I've seen come up a couple of times. Um, I'm going to quote this one from Jordan's uh, website, precondo.ca. Um, I've, I looked for like a comparable source to the one that we just read with number of units, et cetera. But I feel like this is just something that shuffles around so much on an annual basis based on output and how many closings somebody has and um, how many units they've pre-sold and what their land pipeline looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but the names that you would see on this list would be Concord Pacific. Um, so established by Terry uh, Huey, Concord Pacific is one of the country's largest real estate companies as of today. Moreover, this firm has marked the name in the real estate market outside of Canada. They've built more than 150 apartment buildings uh, plus mixed-use complexes with another 50 in different phases of development. And they're headquartered in Vancouver, having multiple assets associated with telecom, solar, renewal, et cetera, et cetera. So they, they're, they're across the spectrum of asset classes. Yeah. Then we've got Oni Group. Um, been doing it for 56 years. Um, top-notch commercial properties as well as condos and homes. And they've developed 15,000, over 15,000 units. Um you know, they do it uh, across North America, but mostly in Toronto and Vancouver, but also have done work in Seattle, L.A., uh, and um, their vision is to create world-class urban towns with great design, creativity, and sustainability. Yeah, they um, they just opened a extended, say, hotel in California, actually, um, in, uh, in Hollywood, Ani Group. They also made the news for being one of those groups that were, in, I think, in trouble with um, an asset in the States. But I talked about this with um, Simo on the Canadian uh, Real Estate Investor Podcast, or sorry, the Canadian Investor Podcast in our two-part episode, which if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, make sure you go listen to two both parts. But um, about how I think a lot of these bigger companies aren't necessarily, like them defaulting on debt isn't necessarily a, um, I don't know, a, a a leading indicator. I think, it, you know, there, obviously there's going to be some some issues in the re- commercial space, but a lot of it's because they're just very powerful and it's a it's a strong negotiating tactic. Um, so Ani being, you know, they're they're a big one in Canada and, and playing a big role in the U.S., whereas, you know, you often see it being the other way, right? A lot of these U.S. companies come into play here, like we mentioned with Graystar and et cetera. Um, next up would be West Bank Corp. So this is a Canadian real estate company with a global presence. They have, a, they have a market cap of $50 million since establishment in 1992. I feel like that's not nearly a big enough number. It should be far, far larger than that. Maybe the stat's off. Um, but they mainly building we'll condo the, properties. Uh, the writer uh, of this article yeah. confirmed. Um, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give him, a talk, give him a stern talking to. 
Well, you may know them from projects such as Telus Garden, The Butterfly, The Orchard Residential, um, The Bank of Italy, The Energy Energy Hub. Um, I think they're doing the, um, in Toronto, they're doing uh, The Mervish Village as well. And um, are they... Is it, are they the the one on King with the with all the uh, plants everywhere? I I, like I I think so, and I I absolutely love that building. I can't wait. Um, I'm interested to see. Finished. Yeah, I'm interested to see how um, how the plants fare in the Canadian climate. I mean, I feel like that'll be a great precedent. <laughs> I think for, they're all fake. <laughs> no, no, I think they're real. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm oh, kidding. Okay, no, I know. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, you got you got humor this early in the morning, and I don't. <laughs> I'm sick, by the way, in case people can't tell. So I apologize for the, the raspiness of my voice. Struggling through this one, but that's okay. Um, so so those are some of the biggest um, builders in Canada. And we will get back and, and touch on some builders again closer to the end. Uh, so let's jump over to land. Wait, wait. Um, now, before we do that, the, la- the next one on the list is the Daniels Corporation, who we're interviewing in two days. So be excited about that. So... Canada is the second biggest country in the world, Russia taking the lead, but more than 80% of our land here is uninhabited. Most Canadians live in large numbers in cities located close to the American border. For example, more than 90% of Canadians live within 155 miles of the United States border. So land ownership in Canada is mainly held by provincial, territorial, and federal governments with about 10%, only 10% of our supply available for private ownership. Nearly 90% is publicly owned by managed and managed by provincial, territorial, and federal governments. Of this, 41% is federal crown land. This is the term used to describe land owned by the federal government and government entities. Yeah, and so another 48% is the province's crown land. So you've got federal crown land and provincial crown land making up, you know, most of what's available out there. Yeah, so again, that only leaves about 10% of Canada's land to be privately owned. So I guess a big question begs the question, who is Canada's largest landowner, or in this context, largest farmland owner? An absolute beauty by the name of Robert Angelic, a very angelic name. Yes, um, what an angel. Has a massive total of more than 225,000 acres of land in Saskatchewan, where I'm going in September. Uh, that's for vacation, right, Dan? Yeah, You're hitting the beach? Like no, I'm doing, yeah. actually, this is exciting. I'm doing a keynote at uh, Saskatchewan Realtors Association um, annual meeting. It'll be fun. Very exciting. Ho- hopefully your, your voice is a little... Less raspy by that point, but yeah, this, sure maybe this is a whole new look for you. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> I did always so, yes. say that I find your voice way, way uh, better than mine on the show, so maybe I'm just uh, trying to be- <laughs> beat up the old uh, throat muscles or whatever. I don't know. Robert Angelic, again, has amassed 225,000 acres. That's worth a whopping between 500 and $700 million. So the province of Saskatchewan has something like 40% of Canada's cultivated land. This is one of the interesting factors, right? Like when I talk about where I'm bullish on in a national perspective, I do feel like agriculture is like a huge, huge thing for Canada, Canada moving forward. And, um, and the, and I think it's going to be an, play an important component in the world. And, uh, yeah, so Saskatchewan, I mean, I've always been, I've always felt bullishness on from an economic perspective because I just feel like the fact that they have so much cultivated land, they also have exposure to a bunch of other 
commodities like potash um, and battery metals, et cetera, et cetera. This just makes me, you know, kind of just cements my... Um, anyway, if we go to um, Angelic Land's website, the landowner aims to be become the landlord for Canadian farmers looking to rent land. Very interesting business model, by the way, um, renting out land. I mean, it's tough to finance land. Uh, I imagine Robert doesn't have issues financing land, but uh, <laughs> it's tough for the layperson to finance land. And the, the you know the the rental yields typically aren't substantial, like the cap rates that you'd be doing it at. There's actually a I, th- I think we presented a chart on this uh, when we last time we talked about land and renting land. So I'll see if I can pull that up again. Um, but they're like. I think like between like a two and a 4% cap rate, let's say they just call it a rent to income ratio of farming rents versus land values per acre. Anyway, they, they want to compete globally while adhering to the company's sustainable land management plan. Angelic makes this goal publicly available and well-known and markets his land on his website under the caption available farmland for rent. So if you go, go uh, check out that site, you can, you can see maybe even rent some land. Yeah, Rob seems like quite the character. So obviously, you know, doing some research for the show and, and typing in um, largest landowner in Canada and everything like this is the only guy that comes up like pages and pages of Google. And this is the only guy that comes up. So I was like, you know, what does this guy look like? Google images and man, first of all, this guy is like right out of Yellowstone, which is a great show. And if you don't watch that, it's basically a uh, show about uh, the largest cattle ranch, one of the largest cattle ranches in, in America. It's so good. There's like, and it looks, it looks like he's, uh, you know, he's always got like a leather jacket on or a cowboy hat. And, and then just like, he's like posted up with like endless, seemingly endless farmland in the background. Yeah. Guy's just living my dream. He's got a few that seems like selfies with him, like sunglasses and either like handlebar goatee and, uh, 10 gallon hat i guess with the yeah. wrangler jacket absolute beauty yeah i mean my personal favorite uh google image here and i really wish you guys could see this so i'm going to try to describe it is he's he's kind of posing in a field of grass he has a bit of like a paint me like a french girl from titanic pose going on full denim obviously and uh he's just chilling it's 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 great it's a bold, it. yeah, bold loves, pose. The land, loves the land actually the, the 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 field picture reminds me of this guy there's this realtor i think it's, i want to say it's chico valencourt up in sudbury free shout out right there he has a um a billboard where it says outstanding in his field have you seen these it's the best billboard no. i've ever seen and he's standing in a field that's amazing amazing anyway yeah. um this guy is on the same beauty level. I don't even drink, but I'd love to have a beer with this guy. Oh, back on the wagon for the angel, eh? Ready to risk it all. I love it. <laughs> don't, by the way. Um, but yeah, literally, again, if you search anything, like any type of, you know, like within the realm of biggest landowner in Canada, it's literally all comes down to this guy. So not only the biggest landowner in Canada, but apparently the largest online presence for all Canadian landowners as well. Absolute beauty, for sure. The next one we can find is Douglas Lake Cattle Company. They own a huge ranch in East Merritt, BC. Has like 51,000 acres. No, 514,000 acres. Oh, yeah, I can't read. I have a mic in front of my face. Uh, 514,000 acres. Yeah, that's a lot of land. Yeah, so actually that that's that's about double, if not more than double, what uh, what Mister Angel has here. But for context, actually, again, um, the GTA is one point seven six million acres. There you go, perfect. Yeah, so this guy basically owns you know what 
25% or less than the, of the GTA. So like, yeah, so like old, like original Toronto, pre-amalgamated Toronto, Toronto proper is 155,000 acres. So he owns uh, three times the size of Toronto inland. Now, the Douglas Lake Cattle Company is owned by U.S. billionaire and former owner of the St. Louis Rams, now the L.A. Rams, Stan Kroenke, who's worth a cool $12.9 billion, also has major stakes in multiple other sports franchises, including the Denver Nuggets, the Colorado Avalanche, Colorado Rapids, and the U.K. football or soccer team, Arsenal. So, guy likes sports and real estate. Two pretty good... Two pretty good things. Yeah, the Douglas Lake Cattle Company is Canada's largest working cattle ranch, usually known as the Douglas Lake Ranch, founded in June uh, 30th, 1886. has been operating continually ever since then. Now, again, that is just some Yellowstone shit right there. Yeah. Um, back in 2003, Stan acquired the 514 acres in... Um, in BC from MCI for an estimated $68.5 million. That feels like a very, very fair price. 514,000 acres for $68.5 million. Yeah, that's a, that's a hell of a deal right there. Okay, so uh, while doing research for this part of the show, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole, Dan. Um, so so bear with me and follow along if you can. Like okay? 100, so, sorry, my, if my math is correct, that's like $133 an acre. Like That's like free. I would pay 100 If anybody wants to sell me land for $133 an acre, I'm happy <laughs> to buy it. I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, okay, so look, Stan doesn't just own land. Um, he's a major lander. He owns 1.65 million square feet worth of acres uh, oh, sorry, worth of, of ranches across the U.S. and Canada. But he doesn't just own land. He owns some 60 million square feet of real estate, much of it shopping plazas near Walmart stores. Okay, enter Walmart. Stan just happens to be married to Ann Walton, the heiress of the Walmart fortune, also a billionaire in her own right, worth $9.4 So if Stan married Ann and Ann owns Walmart, and Stan owns the land in BC. Does Walmart own the land? Making Walmart one of the biggest landowners in Canada? I'm not an expert in um, family law, but uh, and I feel like I should put my tinfoil hat on for this one, but uh, <laughs> oh, I, on. I, could see, I could see Walmart owning a ton of land. I mean, it would make a lot of sense. Yeah, and on, and on that note, I think we're going to depart from, from land here because, to be honest, it was extraordinarily difficult to find um, any information on large landowners. So while we're on the Walmart piece, let's talk about Smart Centers for a second. So Smart Centers Real Estate Investment Trust is a Canadian uh, REIT based in Vaughan, Ontario. So for those outside of Ontario, Vaughan is just a part of the greater Toronto area just about 40 minutes north of downtown. It specializes in retail, real estate, especially power centers, and almost all of its malls have Walmart as a tenant, usually kind of the anchor tenant. Now, you probably recognize Smart Center's logo. It features the little cute family of penguins with a shopping bag. Yeah, great branding, actually. They And they, they were pretty quick to the COVID response with uh, um, shopping, whatever you call it, uh, online, where they you can go pick it up at the, with the penguin pickup things. I think they mm-hmm. were kind of initiating that before, actually. They were pretty ahead of the curve. Um, before I move on and 
continue your thing about smart centers, I did want to, I, I mentioned I would pull up the yields for land. Um, so it's from Farm Credit Canada, by the way, this, um, they call it a rent to price ratio. I'm not going to go through all of them, but Ontario's low, the uh, lowest, Ontario and Nova Scotia, the lowest at like 1.25. And then it goes all the way up to um, 4.35%. So that's basically like your cap rate on land. And that's in uh, Prince Edward Island is actually the highest rent to uh, to price ratio. Um, Angelic in Saskatchewan would be, if he was selling you land, would be selling it probably at a 3.1% cap rate. Anyway, without further ado, um, Mitchell Goldhar founded the real estate firm Smart Centers in the early 1990s. Then developed more than 265 shopping centers in the ensuring two decades. In May 2015, he sold most of Smart Center's assets to Smart REIT for about 880 million in shares, cash, and assumed debt. Wow, that's a nice little sale. Yeah. Another large landowner and just kind of overall Canadian real estate titan, which is kind of what we're going to be talking about from from now on, is K. Rai Sahi, who is the CEO and chairman of Morgard Corporation, and uh, he's worth a cool $1.1 billion. So Morgard Corp is a Canadian real estate company based in Mississauga. Uh, it owns retail, residential, office, industrial, and hotel properties, as well as managing real estate and financial investments for its institutional investors. Morgard's owned and managed portfolio uh, consists of assets valued at $18.6 billion. I love it. Uh, you mentioned the word institutional partners there, and a couple of names come to mind when we're thinking about Canadian real estate. And if we're measuring the size of a player, because that is what this episode is about, by uh, square footage or AUM, assets under management, uh, a couple of names, Cadillac, Fairview, Ivanhoe, Cambridge, and Oxford Properties come to mind. So let's do a deeper dive on those three. So Cadillac Fairview is owned by the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan. Uh, they hold dozens of properties in Canada and the U.S. with an overall portfolio value greater than $29 billion. It started back in 1974 and is headquartered right here in downtown Canada on the fifth floor of 20 <laughs> Queen Street West, center of the universe. Weird that that was in there. Um, yeah, who would write that? that? Was <laughs> a couple Tony Torontos. Um, as of March 2017, the company had 73 properties encompassing 50 million square feet. It's crazy to me that it's just 73 properties. Like These are just massive assets, right? Because yeah. you say, say, oh, 73 properties. It's like, oh, that's like... I like know. I know people with 73 properties. Yeah. And- let me tell you, they do not have any work close to a million square Instagram. feet. Exactly. Um, yeah, 50 million square feet, just wild. Worth over 50 billion, sorry, $40 billion. Um, as of September 2017, Cadillac Fairview's portfolio consisted of 60% Canadian retail, mainly shopping centers. And uh, you would know this by CF Blank Mall. Uh, like, Is it Eaton Center CF? Yeah, I think it is, right? CF Eaton, Eaton Center, Center yeah, CF. Yorkdale... Fairview, um, yeah. et, cetera, et cetera. A lot of the, a lot of the nicer malls, to be honest, a lot of the, yeah. a lot of the top tier malls across Canada would be Cadillac Fairview. Yeah, um, and twenty six percent Canadian office buildings. Worth noting, and we mentioned this in um, in my episode with uh, with Simone when we talk about the future of Canadian retail. A lot of these these large malls are becoming basically like micro downtowns with um, uh, big residential towers being built off the side of them. Actually, Promenade. 
in um, Thornhill is a good example. Like there's literally a tower being built connected to it right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're really looking at the mall as like more of a, just a gathering space. And I, I, you know, I can see malls in the next couple of years having like a WeWork type of component to it and really trying to make them more of a, of a go-to destination and a stick around destination. Yeah. I mean, it makes, uh, it makes sense to like surround them with high rise. Like you already have a bunch of the, um, you know, the, the commercial services there, like there's no sense reinventing the wheel, like just add the people. Right. And if that isn't consumer culture at its finest, then I don't know what is. Yeah. <laughs> um, the next one we're going to be talking about that Dan had mentioned is Ivanhoe Cambridge, probably one of my personal favorite names of any major real estate player. Uh, this company, a real estate subsidiary, recent real estate subsidiary of Case de Depot et Placement du Québec. I hope I didn't butcher that too much, which is also a pension plan company, ranks among the, ranks among the 10 largest real estate companies in the world. It's leads in investment, development, asset management, and leasing with shopping centers, office buildings, and multi-residential properties making up its portfolio. It also owns its own logistics services for storage and distribution, uh, owns hotels uh, and real estate investment funds. So um, approximately 44,500,000 square feet under management or ownership, sorry, and that was from a article in 2016. So likely more, maybe a bit less, depending on how the last few years have been going. Currently looking at about 41 shopping centers for 27 million square feet, uh, including 21 in Canada, five in Quebec specifically, 17 in Brazil, one in Germany, one in China, and one in the U.S., and that is from a 2021 article. So Ivanhoe Cambridge, quite the large player. I also think that they might have invented like the racetrack style mall. So like Vaughn Mills, they have another one that's another good example. I can't remember now. Off is the top that of my where head, the uh, boomers go for their for their fast walks? Yeah, I mean you could. It's too it cold is, in the winter. Well, I don't know. Last time, the only times I've ever been at Vaughn Mills, you're not doing any fast walking there. It's pretty like shoulder to shoulder. Maybe <laughs> yeah. like maybe if you had like some hockey equipment on. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's like it's basically shaped like a giant circle. So you like just walk around it once or whatever. And then almost like, like casino, like you're never, you're just never supposed to leave there. That's a pumping it full of <laughs> yeah, hotel, California. Or? I don't know. Actually, it wouldn't <laughs> surprise me. Next on the list here is Oxford properties group. So we're basically just going through pension plans and large scale real estate holdings by square footage. So Oxford properties, uh, the real estate investment arm of Omer's, which is the Ontario municipal employees pension program. Um, one of Canada's largest pre- pension pro uh, pension plans, Strives to own and manage buildings for the long term, creating high quality environment for tenants and a sustainable environmental footprint. Oxford says it adds 55 years of experience with an in-house team that takes a hands-on approach to real estate investment, development, and management in Canada, the U.S., and Europe. Okay, Dan, pension plans, real estate. Uh, I'm noticing a bit of uh, a pattern here. Oxford Properties, Ivanhoe, Cambridge, and Cadillac Fairview are literally all pension plans. So let's talk about quickly here uh, why real estate and pension plans are so buddy-buddy. Yeah, I would say that, you know, if you look at what happened in the US with Silicon Valley Bank, which was like a duration mismatch, um, they have the opposite of a risk of that happening, pension plans. Like they have to hold money for a long period of time. If you give them money today, they have to give you that back with a return when you retire. And so 
they don't necessarily have this liquidity issue. They have the opposite, which is that they need to take the money and earn a yield at a near infinite horizon for the capital that they have for these pensioners. And uh, one of the great ways to do that, that's very secure and like low, they obviously can't take a ton of risk in that period of time as well. Although they have been known to take the odd risk um, FTX being an exceptionally good example. Yeah. Um, but you know, they, they offset that risk with less risky assets, you know, diversification. And so um, I think that they like it because they can take money and park it for a long period of time in a relatively safe, historically safe asset class. And it'll, you know, by the time that person retires, let's say it's a, 20 year horizon um, they can service the debt in the meantime and it'll earn a yield indefinitely and they can add value during that period of time which they've been doing through development um, construction and now uh, and then now it'll it'll be able to pay those pension obligations the outflows for the fullness of time crazy because you know I've got this thing going called Nick's pension plan um, and it's basically all the real estate that I own so yeah uh, I mean, you know, it's funny. Follow what the uh, follow what the big multi-billion-dollar multinational corporations are doing, which is buying real estate for long-term and holding it, and you should be okay. Um, now, let's move on, Dan, because we can't go on without mentioning BAM. Yes, BAM, uh, Brookfield Asset Management Limited. This is the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast, after all, and uh, our podfathers talk a lot about this. Uh, so let's talk about Brookfield in general. You know the boys at TCI or Podfathers love Brookfield. So Brookfield Corporation is a Canadian multinational company that is one of the world's largest alternative investment management companies with over $725 billion in assets under management in 2022. They focus on direct control investments in real estate, renewable power, infrastructure, credit, and private equity. They own and operate office buildings in cities like New York, London, Toronto, Los Angeles, and Sydney some little known cities. Some of the company's properties include Brookfield Place in New York and the Bank of America Plaza in Los Angeles. Read me this piece on uh, on the article here from The Real Deal. Yeah, so Brookfield Asset Management has big plans for its massive office and retail portfolio after taking its struggling real estate arm private. The Toronto-based asset manager, one of New York and LA's largest office landlords, hoped to make... $25 billion from its real estate portfolio. And that's according to Brookfield CEO, Bruce Flatt, who we've also spoken about in, in a few other episodes. The company recently paid $6.5 billion to buy out the outstanding shares of its real estate arm, Brookfield Property Partners, hoping to have better luck in the private markets than in public trading. Last year, I believe that is two years ago in this article, the firm reported net losses of $2 billion as the pandemic devastated the company's mall properties. That makes sense. The company also came under scrutiny from analysts and short sellers from its accounting and asset valuation and questions about whether it could sustain paying its dividends to investors. Brookfield Asset Management has now privatized property arm, has a portfolio worth $30 billion and plans to hold most of these assets for the long haul. You know what I'm what I'm seeing here, and again doing research for for this episode and seeing the likes of Brookfield and Omers and Oxford, etc. Um, it really just uh, illustrates the the same principles we always talk about: buy good deals, hold them for long periods of time, add value to it while you're doing it. Lose two billion during a pandemic. I did we talk about that? <laughs> um, so. 
the it's it's interesting the part that they mention scrutiny from analysts and short sellers um, for the accounting and asset valuation. I mean, Simone and I talked about this on the commercial real estate review, but like stuff that's in private markets because it it's not like real estate is very interesting because you can kind of just strike it at whatever value you want for your books, right? So, you know, the actual valuation, like, and there was an estimate that something like 80% of New York office landlords are in negative equity right now. Um, wow. Yeah, crazy, crazy to think. Um, but, you, you know, when these assets don't trade that often, they don't sell that often. And so if you're using the most recent comp, it's very easy to say, oh, like this is worth this much or, you know, if it sold that X cap rate, it's worth this much. And so I can understand where that scrutiny comes from. So it's just fascinating from my perspective and worth worth noting that when you look at institutional scale asset uh, or institutional assets, it's it's so hard to value them properly in real time because they don't they're very illiquid. They don't sell a lot. Maybe we'll pivot to a different type of revenue structure, and and this is going to be a kind of a cool one because it's more. This does seem less institutional and more private. Like the guys who really have made it huge in this space are very much, they are running institutional shops now. And a lot of them are merchant develop, become merchant developers for pension funds, or they get investment or working capital for some of these institutional funds. But these are very much businesses that are built up by just building houses. So let's go over a few developers. I know we started that list. Um, I did out of turn a little bit. And, but fortunately, you've got a couple of other ones here that are great. So guy by the name Peter Gilgan has built more than 100,000 houses since founding Mattamy Homes in 1978. Founded in Toronto by Gilgan, Mattamy Homes is one of the largest privately owned builders in North America. It's Canada's largest residential home builder and a top 25 builder in the US. The company's name is a portmanteau of his two oldest children, Matt and Amy. Most of Mattamy's homes projects have been in the greater Toronto area and auto, but has also built homes in Calgary, Edmonton, Waterloo, and multiple markets uh, across the United States. Now, Mattamy Asset Management is the parent company of Mattamy Homes, which is privately owned by Peter Gilgan, who's worth a cool $4.6 billion. So a couple, couple dollars there. A couple um, so next up, we, we I, met, I briefly mentioned Minto, but Minto is a real estate company, development company based in Ottawa, Ontario. Um, they were founded as a home builder in 1955 by four brothers whose family still owns the company to this day. Gilbert, Irving, Laurie, and Louis Greenberg, the four brothers. I love it. I, uh, I have three brothers myself. So uh, boys, if you're listening, it's, it's time to join forces and, and solve the housing crisis here. So Minto has since become one of Canada's largest real estate developers and has developments in Ottawa, Toronto, and Calgary, as well as an expansion into the U.S. real estate market. And they're playing a lot in the purpose-built rental space as well. Yeah, I love to see it. In the last 65 years, Minto has built approximately 95,000 homes, overseeing property management on on almost 14,000 rental apartments and produced 2 million square feet of commercial construction projects. Okay, so moving on to the Apostopoulos family. I hope I said that right. Took a Apostopoulos maybe is better. Three point nine billion. The family's wealth comes from the commercial and industrial real estate that is owned by three brothers, Steve, Jim, and Peter, through a private company called Triple Properties. Yeah, Steve, uh, who's the CEO, is getting a little press right now because he's allegedly considering a bid for the NFL's Washington Commanders. And they are currently working on the massive $1.5 billion casino re- resort development, Durham Live. 
another builder family that we should mention, uh, probably Tridel. Tridel is a major Canadian real estate developer based in Toronto, Ontario. is the largest builder of condominiums in the GTA. Yeah, the company was founded by Jack Del Zotto, an American stonemason who came here into Canada in 1927. He first worked in the mines near Timmins, which is a mining town in northern Ontario, about a seven-hour drive from Toronto, uh, where Jack eventually came, and he helped lay bricks for the Park Plaza Hotel. Del Zotto built his first single-family home in 1934 and has since built 85,000 homes under Tridel's uh, banner and counting. Wild. I actually had no idea that he was working in the mines at Timmins. It's a beauty origin yeah. story. Um, yeah. Next up, let's do the Menkes family. Uh, Menkes Developments Limited is a family-operated business with deep roots in the city of Toronto. The company was established nearly 70 years ago by Murray Menkes. And it's led by Murray's three sons, Alan, Stephen, and Peter, and his grandsons, Jared, Jason, Adam, and Sean, in present day. To date, the company boasts 20 million square feet of commercial space and over a hundred, or sorry, over 15,000 homes. Among the company's signature projects are the Four Seasons Hotel, the Telus Tower, and Royal Pinnacle in North York. Honestly, there are so many more people and companies to talk about in detail. We'll start to do a few more of these episodes about people in Canada or, or um, large and historic developers in Canada. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a lot of fun. You know, again, I, I think I've mentioned this before. I used to read the Forbes billionaires list every year and I would, you know, plan and daydream and imagine while reading the list of, you know, building my own empire. So it was thoroughly. How's that going for you? It's, it's coming. Couple bills. You know, well, a couple bucks so far pension fund (laughs) yeah um i'm not retiring anytime soon i'll be retiring about 150 years old um yeah i mean i thoroughly enjoy this and and again there's so many more home builders and and people to talk about right we didn't even get to the construction side of things like the pcl ellis don lead core acons of the world um yeah it's interesting too actually sorry you know the the on the Elliston side, like you are starting to see a crossover from the construction groups to um, into the condo space a little bit because they're like, oh, we can already know how to build this stuff. Like all you have to do is add the planning and the selling of it, and you can kind of shift over. So I know Rare put out a teaser that they're going to be doing some work with Elliston coming up. Yeah, yeah, very um, so cool. We can and chat I, you know, about that too. Probably only a matter of time they did that. They kind of realized, hey, like you guys have all the fun stuff. We're just doing the base building and pouring the concrete. We want some of the the glamour. Yeah. Um, and I think you, you mentioned we, uh, well, I, I guess I name dropped. Um, we have time for one more here. Yes, Daniel, we do have time for one more. Or should I say Daniels? <laughs> Good one. I see what you did there. The uh, the Daniels Corporation, which Dan kind of teased earlier, is one of Canada's preeminent builders and developers, building more than 35,000 new homes across the GTA over the past 40 years. Yeah, and they have a huge impact on, on real estate development in the city of Toronto, especially. And we're actually headed to their office this week to interview someone. So stay tuned for that. And uh, why don't we call it an episode there? Make sure you check out realestatemerch.ca, realestatemeetups.ca. Uh, we have some great meetups coming in September that we'll be announcing soon. And all, we always have good merch, or we try our best. So if you have a good idea for merch, send it over. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. 
license number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.